Uh, totally different. We're going to wrap up a, uh, a book of the Bible this morning, Second Thessalonians. It's been three months and it was 11 messages ago that we started this. Do you remember it was in the full heat of summer and we were meeting in the, the holodome uh, that long ago? Seems like a long time ago. It's funny how such a short book can take what seems like such a long time to go through. Only 47 verses long. Let me do a quick review with you of where we've been in 47 verses and 11 messages in three months. Maybe shake our cage, rattle our memories here for just a minute before we wind down. Remember back week one we were talking about bearing spiritual fruit through suffering. It's been a prominent theme that the Thessalonian church was under harsh persecution, not only while Paul was there, but Uh, immediately following his departure as well. And he said that, guys, in this rough, persecuted time of your life, God's actually producing fruit. We compared it to viticulture and grapes growing on rocky slopes. Uh, Paul talked in this letter about the righteousness of God being displayed both when he reached down in mercy to save but also when in his righteous judgment he condemned that God was righteous. His glory, his righteous glory were on display on either side of that. We talked about the timing of the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord. And in fact, excuse me, in both of those letters to the Thessalonians, that's a key issue. When does this happen? What does that look like? What are we waiting for? Who are we waiting for? We talked about the man of lawlessness, this man yet in the future that would make Hitler look like a bit of a wimp because the effect he would have on the world would be so damaging and so destructive. We looked at an odd truth that God said that there would come a future day in which he would send, God would send, what he called strong delusion on people who, like Pharaoh, had hardened their hearts against the truth and said to God, we don't want the truth, we don't want to know it, and God had said at some point, that's fine, you won't have truth. You want lies, you're going to have lies in spades. Unusual teaching, but Paul was very clear on that. We talked about the fact that when we hear truth, we need to respond to it. You know, that we don't want our conscience to be hardened over time so that we can no longer hear what God wants to say to us. We talked about God's choice related to salvation, talked about some of the theology about this, depending on where your position was. What did it mean that we've been chosen by God for salvation? Remember, that was in contrast to those who refused the truth and would be condemned. We talked about the good works and the good words that God had assigned to each one of us. And that was one of one of the subjects of Paul's prayers about the good works and good words each one of us has. Sorry, guys, let's see if I... (laughs) We talked about... My favorite, frankly, in 2 Thessalonians was the whole thing about Paul saying, you pray for us and we'll pray for you. I love that theme of mutual support. Paul's going to depart in this letter and he says, guys, you remember to pray for us. We'll be praying for you also. And then last time we looked at the necessity to imitate Paul in working hard and being responsible. Working hard, paying our own way, 
being responsible to support those we're responsible for as well. Now, we've only got three short verses this morning, and it's the conclusion of this letter, and I'll confess to you that I was tempted to just tack them on to last week's message because it's, it can be a challenge sometimes to sew uh, together issues or, or topics that may not seem to fit together very well. The truth is there were three things this morning that I wanted to cover that are just touched on very briefly here by Paul that I still thought were important enough to treat on their own. So that's what we'll do. We're in 2 Thessalonians 3, last three verses, 16 through 18. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with all of you. This greeting is in my own hand. Paul, this is a sign in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So Paul's offering a prayer again here this morning. And his prayer here, his last prayer for them, is for peace. Verse 16, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. And I love when he adds... The Lord be with you all. There's an inference here that if the Lord of peace is with us, we have peace. If the God who is peace in and of himself is with us, we're experiencing his peace. And so Paul's last prayer for them here in this letter is he's entrusting them to the peace that is theirs in Christ. And it's Jesus as the Lord of peace that Paul has confidence in. I can pray that you'll have peace because Jesus is the Lord of peace and you have Him personally with His presence with you. Now we talked before when we talked about prayer that it was interesting what Paul didn't pray for earlier when we talked about good works and good words. And it wouldn't do to be confused on what Paul's prayer about peace was here either. Paul's under no illusion that in praying for them to have peace at all times, in all ways, that this means that the world in which they're living and doing business and speaking and interacting, that their world will be at peace. Because these guys are being persecuted. So we know Paul's thought here isn't that your life is going to be smooth, smooth sailing, smooth waters, no difficulties, no challenges. That is absolutely not what Paul's anticipating or contemplating when he prays for his friends to have peace in the presence of the Lord of peace. It cannot have to do with exterior circumstances. Paul knows their situation. He was there with them. The Lord of peace be with you. You know, we can define peace both negatively and positively. We can define peace by what it's not. So we could say... Uh, Peace is freedom from war or freedom from antagonism or strife with other people. It's what we don't have going on in our life. We could also say, though, positively that peace is having an inner serenity or calmness. Things are still. You know, the opposite of feeling agitated. No, when we've taken that deep breath and stilled our minds, calmed our hearts, that sense of well-being, that that life, at least internally, life is okay. I'm not feeling duress or stress. You know, uh, when I was a young guy, 
going to school, going to college. On the outside, my life looked relatively okay. Uh, but on the inside, I was just falling apart. And I was totally at war within myself. And I was doing all kinds of things to muffle my sense of lack of peace. But the truth was, I, I not only was lonely, I was miserable. And I lacked peace. And when I heard the gospel, I understood that Christ was the solution to this lack of peace I had, to this inner turmoil and this desperation. And you know, probably everyone of us in here has had a time, a situation in life in which there's turmoil and there's things outside our control or something's coming down the road that we can't stop. And all we can think about is, Lord, would you stop it? Would you bring peace? All I can think of is I just need somebody to do what I can't do. I need someone to bring peace into my world. And that's Paul's prayer here. We value peace typically, like other things, to the degree that we feel the need of it. These guys had great exterior circumstances of persecution and suffering. So you can imagine when Paul says, I'm going to pray for peace for you, that's significant. All of us need peace. Now, there's all kinds of ways we can have peace. The first and the one that counts at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day, we need a vertical peace, a peace with God. We need peace with God. And if we don't have peace with God, vertical peace through a restored relationship through Christ... There's no hope that we have a foundation from which we can have peace more broadly in our own life because we don't have the foundation for it. There's nothing there to build real peace in us if we don't have peace with God. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a conscience, and we know we're made for something someone greater than ourselves. And until there's restoration there, we don't have peace with God. And Paul's very clear that peace comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This peace with God is the foundation of every other lasting, substantial, satisfying peace in our life or in our experience. Without that one, we can't have the other kinds of peace, at least not meaningfully. You know, if my conscience bothers me, if I'm not restored to God, I have no way of clearing my conscience. You know, and in fact, it's for lack of this vertical peace oftentimes that we're driven to sex, drugs, alcohol, abuse of food, abuse of friends, you name it, because we don't have peace. And so we're trying to fill that void where we need peace. We're trying to fill it with other things. And the truth is nothing else can give peace with God besides Christ, and without that peace, we have no other lasting, meaningful peace. You can't have it. There's no foundation for it. Freedom from guilt and shame. I mean, which one of us growing up, we've done things we're ashamed of? What do you do with that shame? What do you do with that guilt? If I know I'm righteous before God because of Christ, I have peace. I know that shame and that guilt are adequately covered. We have confidence before God. You know, if our conscience isn't clear, we don't have confidence. Uh, Sometimes I'll walk around the corner of my house and my wife's 
not aware that I'm there. And she turns around and she's totally startled and she screams almost every time because it's like she she's, you know, in a bubble of her reality of bubble and suddenly I'm there and it's like something's appearing out of nowhere. Well, she's just, it's this scream. Well, you know, we have a conscience, and if, if in this moment we saw God, what would our thought be? Would it be, oh, great, thank you, Lord, good to see you? Or would it be, oh, no, I'm not ready? Yeah. We don't want to shrink back. Well, faith in Christ, the knowledge that our sins are covered, that our foundation for relationship with God is restored, that's, that's the basis of all lasting peace in our life. You can't have it without that. Confidence towards God's Hebrews 4.16. I love this. God is the supreme being of the universe. All power, right? He's totally holy. Sin can't dwell in His presence. And yet we're told in Hebrews that we should come, not timidly, not fearfully, not tentatively to His presence. We should come boldly to what Hebrews calls the throne of grace. This is God Almighty's throne. And we're told we should come and can come boldly because we have peace with God. We have boldness because we have peace with God. Os Guinness said this, because true satisfaction and real rest can only be found in the highest and most lasting good, all seeking short of the pursuit of God brings only restlessness. Nothing else we do can satisfy us when it's peace we need. And it's peace we're after. You know, this is something good that's uh, good to remember also. You know, God is both the hardest to please entity in the universe on one hand, because He's holy, He's perfectly holy, but then He's the easiest entity person to please in the universe also. Hardest because He's holy, but Jesus has taken care of that for us. We have peace with God through faith in Christ. So if the... If the person who has the highest standard possible in all the universe is at peace with me, then I should be able to be at peace with myself, shouldn't I? And if the person whose standards are absolutely the most stringent says, you're okay with me, then don't you think we're okay related to others? If someone else doesn't think I'm okay, am I still okay? If God says you're at peace with me, but someone else says you're not okay with me, does that really matter at the end of the day? We have peace with God. We're good to go. The hardest person, the holiest entity in the universe says he's at peace with us, we can live with that. We're never going to be at peace with everyone else at all times and all places for sure, but we can be at peace with God. So there's peace with God. Paul says, you know, I want you to have peace all the time, all situations. Peace with God, that's what it's founded on. But there's also the peace of God. Colossians 3.15 talks about it this way, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So we have vertical peace with God through faith in Christ. But then we're also to have an interior peace, the peace of Christ. Now you know it's possible to be at peace with God, vertical and not have the peace of Christ inside? Do you know that if I sin, and I do, and you do, and we do, if I sin and I confess that to God, but I'm not sure I'm forgiven, 
I lack the peace of God. I still actually, on God's side of things, I still have peace with God. But if I don't get the value personally, if I don't feel the weight of sins forgiven, I lack peace of God inside. I have to remind myself of what's true. If God forgives me, I can forgive myself and I can enjoy God's peace again. So it's possible to have vertical peace with God and yet sometimes still not experience the peace of God within, sometimes because of a guilty conscience. Hebrews is also clear, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience. First you know, John 1.9, if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So we need to remind ourselves, if we've sinned and we've confessed that, if we're still lacking peace, we need to remind ourselves, I'm at peace with God. God's at peace with me. Who am I to be at war with myself? I have to inform my conscience. I'm at peace. I'm at peace with God. God's at peace with me. The peace of God. The peace of God is calmness. It's quietness. It also, I think, borders on the sense of confidence. I'm not edgy. I'm content with what God's doing in my life. I'm at peace with what's going on inside Guys, all of the world could be falling down around me and I could still enjoy the peace of God within. And again, remember, Paul's not intimating this is an exterior peace. We live in the world and exterior peace does not live in this world. And so there's a disclaimer on this too. Peace with God and the peace of God do not guarantee peace with others. This does not mean we'll have peace with each other. Horizontal peace. That's a possibility. It's not a promise. It's a possibility. It's not a promise. Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, Paul says, live at peace with everyone. Paul recognizes relationships, horizontal peace, is based on more than one person interacting. So he's absolutely realistic about this. As far as it depends on us, be at peace with others. It recognizes Peace may still not exist because we don't control the other party or the other parties. So as far as it's within our capability, we're to be at peace with others. I love this quote from Thomas Akempis, the author of The Imitation of Christ. He has great tranquility and peace of heart who does not regard praise or blame. You are not better because you are praised or worse because you are blamed. For as you are, you are. And whatever is said of you, you are no better than Almighty God, the searcher of men's hearts, will testify that you are. See, if we have peace with God, we have the foundation for all peace. Having peace with God, we can have the peace of God. And it doesn't matter what's going on. You know, a great biblical example of this is the disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And you remember the waves come up and... Man, their world is shaking. They're going up and down. Jesus is asleep. You know, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus speaks to the storm and it stops and there's calm. Paul's prayer is like that. Jesus is in our boat. The Lord of peace is with us. And so his prayer reflects that. May you have peace because you have the Lord of peace. And it's possible for us to have peace with God and the peace of God at all times, in all circumstances, whatever the situation is. 
If you feel distracted, anxious, fearful, mad, angry, when we feel those emotions, we should check ourselves and ask, Lord, is this the right emotion for me? Should I not be experiencing your peace? You know, you'll see in Jesus, uh, the night of his betrayal, sweating great drops of blood, feeling anything but peace. But Jesus is uniquely our sin bearer. He's taken on the sins of the world. Think of Paul and Silas as a contrast. The Lord of life has died and risen, and these are his representatives. And, and you know, they're in the city of Philippi. This is weird. They're publicly stripped. I mean, that'd be humiliating. I'd be a little embarrassed. Publicly stripped. Then they're beaten. Then they're thrown in the inner part of the Roman jail. Now, I'm not feeling the love if I'm them for sure. Where's the peace, Lord? You know, these guys, I'm a good guy. Why'd they do this? You know, and what's their response? You know, at midnight, they're giving a little concert to their fellow prison dwellers. They're singing praise to God. And it says the prisoners are listening to them. Here's Paul, stripped publicly, beaten publicly, thrown in prison. Not good external influences. And he's at peace. And we can have that same kind of peace. Jesus is in our boat. The Lord of peace is with us. And that's the foundation. Peace with God, the peace of God. We can live with that. When we pray for each other, that's just a great thing to pray for, like Paul did. May may we, may each of us, be experiencing that peace of God. Peace with God first, peace of God second. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. In his prayer for peace, he also brings up peace's twin sister, grace. You see that in his last verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Most people are aware the Greek word for grace and oftentimes translated for love is charis. Charis, we get the English word charity from that same word, C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. Its primary meaning is something that delights or gives joy. The meaning we usually use for it in the Bible is unmerited favor. That God, not dependent on anything in or of ourselves, has given us His favor. So think of it this way. To have God's grace is by no merit of our own, to be in good standing with God, in which God delights in us, takes joy in us, receives us gladly, no stiff arm, nothing to hold us back. We have God's favor, and not just sort of grudgingly. We have it fully. God loves us, delights to be with us, loves to be in our presence, wants us in His presence. So if we get that sense of God's delight and joy in us, that that helps us put some perspective on this, that Paul says, the grace of God be with us. See, we live in the grace of God. We stand in the goodwill of God. An anonymous writer has said this, the depths of religious experience are sounded when a man awakens to the truth that while he has nothing to hope for from himself, he may dare to hope for everything from God, that the source of his confidence does not lie in himself at all, but in the inexhaustible mercy and unchanging love of God. 
You know, Paul was the guy who knew something about the grace of God. If someone had a guilty conscience, it would have been Paul. So here's Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee. He's at Stephen's death. This is the guy who literally is laying hands on Jewish believers, Christians, dragging them from their homes, separating families, no doubt, seizing their property, throwing them in prison, and is on his way to do more of the same when God knocks him down and says, you're mine. And so Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. You know, it's not without some real depth of feeling and some real sense of gratitude towards God's grace that Paul says in one of his letters to Timothy, I'm the worst, I'm the chief of all sinners because I persecuted God himself in the person or the people of his church. But yet I became an example for others that if God would show grace to Saul of Tarsus, everyone else has hope. So Paul knew something about the grace of God. And when he signs off, this is his last word to his friends. God's grace be with you. I love that. Romans 3.24 says they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Justified freely by His grace. You know, that peace that we get with God. It comes because we're justified, we're declared not guilty, righteous in God's sight by grace, by His grace. We didn't earn this. We get that justification by grace. And then listen later in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul puts together these twin sisters of peace and grace. He says there, since we've been declared righteous by faith, Romans 3, 24, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that peace. The peace with God through faith in Christ. We also have obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Into this grace in which we stand. You know, at the end of Romans 8, Paul asks rhetorically, what can separate you from the love of God? And then he goes through a list. Well, nothing above, nothing below, nothing future, nothing past. No angels, no demons. He goes through a list so that we get it, that everything in the universe is excluded. That nothing can isolate us, remove us from God's love. Well, that is absolutely true of God's grace as well. We stand, Paul says, in God's grace. And remember, God's grace is his favor, his delight in us, his joy over us. There was a movie years ago based on a little boy who had no immune system and he lived in a bubble. And uh, his world was encompassed by this sphere that he'd roll around in. Well, we have a sphere, if you will, around us. And it's God's grace. And you can never get out of it. When you got up this morning, you got up in in the grace of God. When you go to bed at night, you go to bed in the grace of God. When you eat, you eat in the grace of God. When you do anything that you and I can be about in the day, we do so in the grace of God. We swim in the grace of God. We breathe in the grace of God. For the Christian, because that relationship's been restored, grace is all God has left for us. God is grace. He is loving. And we get the full benefit of that. 
So Paul says in Romans 5, we stand in the grace of God. We live in God's grace. You can't escape God's grace if you tried to. We are in Christ. We live, we stand, we breathe, we eat, we sleep in God's grace. I love this as another benediction. You remember we said, pray for us, we'll pray for you at a great benediction. And then here's this this last word. You know, entrusting them to the grace of God. We're all dependent on the grace of God. And Paul says, you've got it. Through faith in Christ, we have peace. Having peace with God, we have His grace. We have His favor. He delights in us as His children. There's a story of Paul's departure in Acts 20. And he's sailing back to Jerusalem, and he knows that he's going to be arrested. The Holy Spirit has made it clear to him and to others he's going to be arrested. And he's telling his friends here, these elders of the church, he says, guys, I'm never going to see your face again. This is our final party. Never see again. He also says, God has appointed you to shepherd the flock of God in that local church there in Ephesus. And he also says, and by the way, vicious wolves, predators, are going to come into the midst of the church there in Ephesus. And he says also, by the way, you are some of them. Some of them are going to rise from the ranks of men he was speaking to in that moment. So if you're Paul, you're leaving these guys last time, what's your final word to them? You know what's coming. What's your last word to them? Paul's last word was that he was entrusting them to God and to the word of his grace. I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace. When we're praying for someone else, no matter what they're going through, or each other, to commit each other to, the, to God and to the word of His grace. That's confidence building. The word of His grace. You know, that's another great reminder. If we don't know what the Scripture says is ours because of peace with God and grace with God, it's hard to entrust ourselves to the word of His grace. We need to know what God says is true of us. So we've got peace and grace, grace and peace. Now, this might be a bit of a stretch, but this last verse sandwiched in between peace and grace is what I want to end with. Verse 17. Uh, Paul says there, this greeting is in my own hand. Paul, this is a sign in every letter. This is how I write. Paul basically says, guys, you know this is my letter because here is my signature. It's authenticated. This letter is from me, the real Paul. Now, this is Thanksgiving weekend for us, and I'll bet... Probably almost everybody here, just like I did, ate turkey on Thanksgiving. And did you guys not eat turkey? How many ate turkey? Okay, yeah, so turkey. So we love turkey around Thanksgiving. Mashed potatoes and gravy, green beans uh, casserole, turkey, all covered with gravy. That's what I'm talking about, Thanksgiving Day. I love turkey, right? It's good. So then Thanksgiving night, and then the next day, Friday, now I've got cold turkey sandwiches. So now I've got turkey sandwich. My version is lots of mayonnaise because the turkey's usually a little dry. Lots of salt and pepper. And then the thing that tops it for me are the crispy sweet pickles. That is a great sandwich. Now, coming this week, there's going to be turkey leftovers. So then what do you do with those? So then Kathy will make a turkey pot pie. And I'm loving those, Liz. Yes, thank you. They're great. They're delicious. So turkey, turkey, turkey. Yes, absolutely great. So a couple weeks ago, I opened my freezer, 
and I see turkey hot dogs. Thank you. So you know where I'm going. That's a scam and it's a farce. There's no such thing as turkey hot dogs. So I remind Kathy what the supervisor of a hot dog making company once told me. He said, always buy all beef franks. This is a guy who saw what goes into hot dogs. He says, I would never eat anything that wasn't an all beef frank. So turkey dogs, they're posers and they're fakes. And we don't want them. We want all beef franks. We want the real thing. If you're saving calories, do it someplace else. Not with hot dogs. We want the real thing. You know, there's a phrase that has been used in advertising, often imitated, never duplicated. Often imitated, never duplicated. Paul winds down this verse 17 because others, like turkey dogs, had tried to imitate him. And we saw that back in chapter 2. In fact, he said there, uh, don't be easily upset in mind or troubled by a spirit, by a message, by a letter, as if from us, telling you that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. So others had come in, they tried to foist their teaching on the church by saying it was from Paul. They were turkey dogs trying to act like all beef hot dogs. They weren't the real thing. And so Paul says, he told them there in chapter 2, guys, don't listen to that. Don't, don't take that in. Don't eat that up. That's not from me. And you should know that. We don't know all the specifics. We simply know that others had tried to imitate him. So Paul says effectively, what I told you before, you can count on. I'm God's spokesman. I always say the same thing. I don't change my mind. So what I told you in person, you should have known. When these other messages started filtering through, you should have known those aren't from Paul. Those are imposters. They're posers. We know Paul. We know what Paul said. Paul is the real deal. Paul has integrity, what he said he meant. And like God, because he's God's spokesman, he's not changing his mind. Paul says you can count on what I said. There's integrity there. There's authenticity there. They knew Paul. They should have known Paul. What I said, he said to you in person, you can count on. Now here in this letter, he says, you know this letter's from me because here's my John Hancock. Here's my signature. So when he wrote the Galatians at the end of that letter, he said, look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my handwriting. See, so he winds down that letter. We know from that Paul's signature was big and maybe childlike, maybe a little scrawling. There were two things going on with Paul related to written messages. In Paul's day, teachers usually did not write their own letters. They dictated them, which makes to me dictating something like the Epistle to the Romans, this theological magnum opus, that's mind-boggling. But Paul didn't write his own letters. He dictated them. This was just the norm. And then he would sign them. Mark of authenticity there at the end. So if you read the end of Romans, Romans 16, we know that Tertius wrote the epistle to the Romans. Paul dictated it. Tertius wrote it. Paul signed it. So 
In Paul's day, you've got one element in which teachers dictated letters and then signed it to make it authentic. But also we know Paul's got an eye problem. And I think Galatians 6 points that out. Why does he say, I write with such large letters? You know, in Galatians, he'd said, hey, if possible, you guys, I know you cared for me, you would have torn your own eyes out to give to me. And it's assumed Paul had a malady with his eyes that his vision was compromised. And, you know, if it's compromised, it looked like my writing would look nice and neat. It'd be big and rangy, maybe childlike. But we know 1 Corinthians, Colossians, 2 Thessalonians, Philemon, and Galatians, we know in all of those, Paul says, I'm writing this with my own hand. You can count on it. You can bank on it. This is from me because here's my handwriting. Here's my signature. See, Paul's basically saying, I'm consistent. I have integrity. I'm authentic. I'm the real deal. And you can count on that. That won't change. Now, I would argue that Paul's ability to be who and what he was fully, a real all-beef hot dog, a hot dog as it should be, an apostle as he should be, was based on the fact that he knew what peace with God was and he knew what the grace of God was. So he was free to say what God told him to say, to write what God told him to write to not worry if someone wasn't happy with him. And, and there were people always unhappy with Paul, inside the church and outside the church. Paul knew God's peace, he knew God's grace, and so he was free to be Paul as God meant him to be. Paul to say the things God called him to say. Paul to write the things God called him to write. Because that foundation of his experience and his relationship were peace and grace. You know, most of us, a good part of our life, we struggle with this and we're tempted to be turkey hot dogs. We're tempted to be someone or something God has not called us to be. So one day we tell somebody one thing, our opinion's this, now our opinion's that to someone else. We don't say the same thing. Or our text or our Facebook to one person is one thing and to someone else it's another. Because we try and please this person over here and then we change our tune, we try and please this person over here. It's all based on not knowing that we have peace with God and we live in the grace of God. So if we can lay hold of, as Paul does here as he departs, his final word, if you and I can lay hold that we have peace with God, that's all that counts, that gives me peace inside, and I live, I walk, I breathe in the grace of God, guys, then I'm liberated. Then I can be truly who God's made me to be. I can be authentic. I can say the same thing to everyone. I can write the same thing to everyone because I have integrity, because I'm not tempted to try and please you and you're not tempted to try and please me because we've got something better. Remember, the prayer isn't for an external horizontal peace. That's impossible, usually. It's vertical and it's internal. That's the peace we can live with. Paul got that. And guys, I think these two things, this is all of the faith this is the foundation of the faith, that we have peace with God and we live in the grace of God. And yet it's for a failure to lay hold of that that I think most of us live mediocre lives because we're afraid. We're afraid someone else won't give me peace. We're afraid someone else won't delight in me or take joy in me. Well, it doesn't matter. They're not going to anyway. Jesus comes to the earth, what do we do with him? Spit on him, crucify him, bury him. Guys, this world is not going to love us. And we have enough of our old sinful nature and each of us as Christians, what do we do to each other? 
talk each other down? You know, what are we saying behind people's backs? Remember, if someone's talking to you negatively about someone else, when they're not there, they're doing it to you when you're not there. You know, there's this temptation. It's just this sinful desire to be accepted and loved. We've got it. It's for failure to lay hold of the peace we have with God, the peace of God, living in the grace of God, that we're tempted to live inauthentic lives, turkey, hot dog lives. We don't need to go there. We've got something far, far better. I love also this. Paul says, look at this large, scribbling signature. You know it's mine. You know Paul boasts in his weaknesses? 2 Corinthians, boasts in his weaknesses. If you and I have a weakness, what do we want to do with it? Cover it up, hide it. Oh, no, no. No, that's, that's not what I meant. No, that's not what I did. You know, if I have a weakness, I want to cover it up, I want to hide it, I want to not let you know what my imperfections are. No, Paul says just right out front, here's my imperfections. Here they are. But you know what I love about this? So Paul's trouble with his eyes, leaving this probably childlike, I think, signature, becomes the mark of his authenticity. His weakness becomes the mark of his integrity, that this is really Paul. And see, this is the thing. In God's hands, the God of peace and grace that we serve, he can take our weaknesses and he can turn them around to be one of the marks of the ways he uses us. So if we know we have God's peace, if we know we live in God's grace, we can be really honest with others about these are my weaknesses. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it's in our weaknesses that God manifests his power. So if with Paul we can value God's peace and God's grace, guys, we can be who we're called to be. We can lay aside the temptation to settle for some inferior version of ourselves, and we can boast in our weaknesses because God can turn around and use those in ways we never thought possible that become part of who we are, the authentic version of who we are. I love that. In our weaknesses, God is magnified. So in this very short letter, Paul's left us not only this great practical theology, an example, blessing and prayer we should be offering for each other, an example of a life lived with radical dependence on the peace of God and the grace of God. And I love the fact that here, every one of Paul's letters start and end with these two words. Every one. Peace and grace to you. That's how he starts. Peace and grace to you. That's how he ends. In his two letters to Timothy, he adds mercy. Peace, mercy, and grace to you. Guys, our, our lives as Christians, we have the peace of God. We have peace with God. We live in the grace of God. Coming or going. Every letter, Paul brings it full circle. I think it's because he doesn't want us to forget it. So God help us to be, I'll be Franks for sure. You'll remember that, by the way. I'll be Franks versus turkey dogs. Father, we want to be the people you've made us to be. God, would you help us give you our weaknesses, confess to you our sins. Lord, lay hold of the fullness and the depth of the peace you mean us to experience in you. God, take to heart the reality of the grace 
you give us the joy and the delight you take in us because you're at peace with us through the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus, on our behalf. Father, might we, out of a full apprehension of the peace we have from you and the grace we have in you, Lord, might that motivate us, might that free us, might that enable us to live now with integrity and authenticity in a way that praises you. In Jesus' name, amen.